Welcome to the Man Up God's Way podcast, a show that dives into the real, raw, and relevant issues for men in their faith, life, and community. Now, your host, Jody Birkin. All right, guys, here we are again on another Man Up Monday podcast. We want to thank you so much for joining us here tonight. Uh, my name is Jody Burkeen, and I am the founder of Man Up God's Way Men's Ministry and the host of the Man Up God's Way podcast. I'm really excited tonight for a special guest, and we'll introduce him here in just a minute. But um, if you get an opportunity, make sure that you share and subscribe to one of our platforms, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, uh, join our app, man. We've got an ama- an amazing app that we're trying to get people off of the social media crazy and into a good godly app that will bring brotherhood and fellowship together. So if you get an opportunity, it's on iTunes and Android, um, Google Play. So make sure you go see that. Also, the way that we support our podcast is through our manupmerch.com page. Um, and it is a store that we sell awesome t-shirts like this. I've got some massive, awesome, these are manly coffee mugs, not the little sissy coffee mugs, uh, that you can put some good coffee in. Uh, we've got some great iron sharpens iron kind of coffee mugs as well. So we want to make sure that you, uh, get a hold of those, uh, as, as fast as you can. Uh, I know Christmas is coming up. So ladies, if you're listening, your men would love some of the shirts and the hats and the uh, coffee mugs that we have. So make sure that you go get it. Uh, I'm in the studio here tonight by myself, but I do have an awesome guest. Uh, normally, I've got my my production manager for Goza um, with me who uh, could not be here tonight, but um, I'm really looking forward to tonight's guest. And I think you guys are going to be blessed by hearing his story um, and, uh, so for, without further ado, let me go ahead and get Steven Snook on here. Steven, how you doing, brother? I'm awesome, Jody. How are you? Man, I am just living the dream. Can't complain one bit. So, uh, man, I, I thank you for reaching out and, um, you know, wanting to, to get on this podcast and, uh, you know, I've been reading a little bit about your story. And again, I was, I was telling my wife on the way here who I was interviewing and she's like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to hear this. And, um, I'm just really excited that you could be on here. So, Stephen, why don't you just start off and tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get into your story. Sure. Um, well, as you know, I just um, was recently, in the last nine months, I was released from federal prison after doing 19 years for a nonviolent drug crime. And um, since that time, man, it has just been a miracle after miracle after miracle, just absolute supernatural to the place where God has taken me in just that short amount of time. Wow. And and I would like to say that I'm, I'm actually not very surprised because I had been seeing so much supernatural in the last five years, especially that I knew that the Lord was walking with me every step and, and I never expected him to stop. Praise God, dude. I love it. I love it. So let's go back 25 years ago. Sure. Um, where were you? What were you doing then? And and how did you end up in, in prison with a 19-year stint? Okay. Well, um, if I just only go back that far. <laughs> well, you you go back was, as far as, you, the, you know, uh, weave this story in for us to, to get to where we were or okay. where we, where we want to be. For sure, brother. I, I appreciate that opportunity because it I do have to lay a little bit of a foundation there. I was yeah, born in do. Hampton, Virginia. 
Okay. And my mother was 15 years old when she had me and I was her second child. Now she was unable to take care of us. There was no man. This was just complete poverty the way that uh, she was raised. Mm -hmm. And she just took my brother and myself and set us out by the street and called the cops and had them come get us. And they put us in the foster care system. And eventually we were brought to Illinois from uh, Virginia by my brother's father's sister, which uh, God bless her. You know what I mean? She was a waitress. She didn't have children. And um, she decided to take us in so that we wouldn't be separated, even though we had different fathers. And uh, so at about two and a half years old, I was brought over here to Illinois. And um, and that's kind of that's kind of how my journey started on this. earth. Uh, My aunt married uh, twice while I lived with her. And both times she married very violent, alcoholic, uh, ex-military men. Oh, man. one of my very first memories in life, I was sitting on her lap and her first husband, he just uh, walked up to her. There was no argument. I was probably about five years old and he just walked up to her and punched her right in the face. So oh, I was kind yeah. of exposed to that type of violence at a very young age. Um, she ended up divorcing him, married another man who essentially became my father. And um, he was just uh, the same way. You know how alcoholics and addict uh, people that are addicted to different substances, they're very, very good when they're not on those substances. Right. I love the man. Um, he, um, he was a good man. Taught me how to fish and hunt. Taught me how to fight like burning hell because he was a boxer in the military. But right. when he drank, I mean, he would take me, my brother, my aunt would go to work at 530 in the morning, brother. And he would he would take everything out of their bedroom, take a five gallon bucket, set it upside down, start drinking vodka. And oh he would have goodness. me and my brother fight each other like pit bulls. And wow. so, yeah. So we grew up, it was, it was a strange, very rough, uh, very poor. And um, at about 15, I started selling drugs full time. Um, just, you know, started out with the marijuana. Um, by the time I was 19 years old, I was going down to the Mexican border and just get my own stuff. I'd fly out from Indianapolis and go down there and down to Brownsville, McAllen, stuff you see on the news now, right. all the immigration stuff. And and so I caught my first case down there. Um, and it just it just continued to ripple throughout my life. Just uh, went to jail and uh, on the Mexican border, went to jail in Ohio, Illinois, Virginia, several different places. Um, get out, go right back to selling drugs, you know, same connections. And uh, just, uh, you know, a man that wasn't grounded in anything. There was no church environment in our home. Uh, We didn't talk about the Lord. We didn't talk about God or the Bible. And um, so that's kind of the foundation that would lead me up to 25 years ago. Okay. All right. Yeah, Yeah. I've got uh, I used to own a company and uh, I know all about Brownsville because I sent uh, I called them my goons. They were my employees, but I always called them my goons. And uh, we we used to do industrial paint booths, and I sent a crew down. One of our vehicles broke down, so I sent one of the guys that I had in town. Um, I sent him down in my wife's uh, suburban, and uh, they go down there. Well, it was about four or five days I hadn't heard from anybody, and I was like, "What is going on?" And then finally, I, I couldn't get a hold of anybody. Couldn't get a hold of anybody, and finally, I get a call from my banker, and he's like, "Hey." Um, Sheriff's Department in Brownsville, Texas, wanting to know how much your vehicle is worth. And I was like, what do you mean how much my vehicle is worth? And they said, yeah, they they busted all your guys down there with five pounds of marijuana coming across the 
the border down there. So, uh, you know, one of the most heavily trafficked, trafficked roads in the world and they're on it, you know, and, and <laughs> end up getting my truck impounded and everything. So uh, I guess they thought I was a drug Lord, but uh, eventually it all worked out. But yeah, I, I know a little bit about Brownsville too. So uh, crazy world. So, so you, you got into that, you got, you got pinched a couple of times. Um, next thing you know, you're, you're, you're still doing it. I mean, you had no really way out. I meant you, you had no, no guidance, no direction. Um, I can see where you, you go to what, you know, um, yeah. you know, and what you're good at, you know, uh, even though you got caught, you're still, there's a hundred other times you didn't get caught, you know, and, yeah. uh, and you can continue to do that. So, did you up the ante as far as sizes and, and different types of uh, drugs? Is that what, what ended up getting you pinched pretty hard? Oh, yeah. I dove all the way in. You know, okay. I had uh, I was extremely determined that I was just going to be the biggest drug dealer that I could possibly be. Um, so, you know, I had the marijuana trafficking uh, case. Um, then I had, you know, I was, it was the wild women. I ended up catching a case when I was 21, my girlfriend was 17 and they didn't like that. So uh, I got, got in some trouble for that. So then by the time I ended up doing my first stint in prison, which ended up being about three years, when I got out, there was nothing changing. I didn't right. want to hear about, uh, going legitimate, you know, just get the connections, get everything rolling again. I'm, I'm essentially living for the devil and in the devil's world, you know, right. and, um, when I caught this Fed case uh, at 26 years old, I had been married for a little less than a month. And there was, so my wife was 22. I was 26. And I got caught with a little over six kilos of cocaine. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So the uh, the FBI, the DEA, uh, the prosecutor, what they do is they take any prior uh, uh, run-ins with law enforcement and they use that against you. And that's how they determine how your sentence is going to be. So they used a couple right. of the priors there and they gave me 22 years. Holy cow. No kidding. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh so, my goodness. Sure. So I'm in it. You know what I mean? And I know right. I'm in jail. I've been to prison before. Uh, people in uh, my family been to prison. It's just, it just wasn't that big a deal. It right. was a big deal of getting all that time, but it wasn't a big deal about doing time. Right. If that makes sense. Oh, totally. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, it's almost, you know, if you're in the lifestyle, you have to um, gear up for the time. Most likely you're probably going to do it. And so in your probably in your mindset, you're setting up for, you know, I'll do it. You know, there's nothing else, you know, nothing else I could do. I mean, I couldn't imagine what it would be like, you know, the um, the option put out there for you to snitch on the guys and, uh, you know, that would then you got to look over your shoulder the rest of your life, you know, f- for something like that. Yeah. Well, you know what, Jody, the way the government works on uh, drug cases, I would say probably 70 to 75% of all uh, defendants that get caught with drugs do end up snitching. Right. And in my instance, one of the um, carrot and stick approaches that they used was the stick was my wife, my newly oh, married wife. No uh, kidding. Just, yeah, just beautiful uh, young woman. They said, listen, you're going to cooperate or she's going to go to prison. Oh my and um, I said, you know, I'm not built like that, boys. 
Uh, <laughs> you know, and I told the judge, I have my sentencing transcripts to this day. I told the federal judge right there in uh, central Illinois. I said, your honor, I know why I'm here. I am a drug trafficker. I know why I'm in this courtroom, but I don't know why she's sitting over there next to me. Right. Because this girl over here has never done anything wrong. This is just something that they did. And, um, but there was, it, there was no avoidance. So at the same time that they were giving me 22 years, they were giving her 24 months. Wow. Yes. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. They stuck it to you big time then, didn't they? Yeah. So that, that, there's your pattern right okay. there. I'm destroying right. my life. I'm starting to destroy lives that are around me and, and I just really don't care. And I'm in the County jail and um, I'm doing time the way that I know how to do time. You know, right. I'm, I'm gambling, I'm, I'm playing cards, I'm working out and it's just the regular thing. And um, my brother comes to see me um, in the county and I've got quite a bit of money loaned out. You know, I've got 30,000 over here, 20,000 over here, whatever. I need to try to collect that money. Right. Now, even though I'm in federal custody, I'm still, you know, being a gangster. And I sent my brother on a mission and I didn't really think too much about it. And I called home about a week later and um, they answered the phone. They said, hey, you've been watching the news. I said, no, I, I ain't really been watching the news. And they said, well, uh, your brother's been in a, in a horrible car wreck and he is on life support. Oh, my gosh. And he was uh, he was running from the cops in a high speed police chase after doing a shooting, uh. and they were trying to beat the cops to, to get around corners to throw the guns out of the car. And uh, yeah. And you Holy know why he cow. was on that mission. He right. was on that mission because of me. Oh my uh, goodness, brother. Yeah. It was, it was at that moment. I just let that phone down and I went into that prison cell and, and I don't know, I still don't really know why to this day I did this, but I went into that prison cell brother and I hit my knees and I gave my life to the Lord right there. No kidding. Yeah. So this, and, this is how many years in? Oh, that was probably, Oh, seven months in. No kidding. So you're only seven months in and just gave your life to the Lord after just, you know, knowing that you've most likely wrecked your wife's, you know, no, I shouldn't say wrecked her life, but definitely messed it up for a little while. And then, uh, you know, definitely put your brother in harm's way. And so now you're, you've hit rock bottom for, you know, people who've never been to prison, you know, typically would say, well, rock rock bottom was prison. Well, not necessarily, <laughs> you know, there's, right. there's, there's different rock, rock bottoms for everybody. And the rock bottom was obviously your brother. And I, I have three brothers, so I understand how, um, you know, how you can feel uh, about that for sure. And I, I, I hate that it happened. So give your life to the Lord. And so what happened from there? So you're seven months in and you're going to give your life to the Lord. You obviously probably had to go in and make a name for yourself relatively quickly. If you're gambling and, you know, still being the gangster inside the prison, what happened then? Well, you know, I had, a, I had a strong reputation from having been in state prison. When I was in the uh, state of Illinois prison system, I was in a couple of maximum security prisons where I did have to put some work in, um, you know what I mean? To, to right. kind of earn my stripes there to make sure that uh, it was understood that I was not somebody that you would tangle with. And um, it, it was interesting when I did ask the Lord into my life and I, and you know, I, I kind of guess I expected something to happen and nothing happened. And, <laughs> and it's really strange because I went back to doing time the way that I do time. And right. then one day they came and they said, Hey, uh, pack up your bags. Uh, you're moving to another jail. 
So I, I packed up the little property that I had and they took me to another jail. And when they put me in this other jail, I was the only white guy in this whole unit. And but it was a smaller unit. It was a little bit right. you know, more isolated. There were about uh, 12 of us in there, whereas in the other one, there was probably 50. So there were about right. 12 of us in there. And I just, you know, went back to playing cards and playing dominoes, brother. And then, uh, you know, sitting in that room and that little still small voice that we know what it is now that I didn't really know what it was then. And, and he just whispered to me and he said, tomorrow you're going to start reading the Bible. Well, and you're wow. not going to eat. Yeah. And you're not wow. going to eat now. So you're in jail. Yeah, so every right. meal is just cherished. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's so, the one time you get to get out and do something. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, so we got God. a little problem. I don't got a Bible. <laughs> so I walk down through the unit and I find this old black fella. And I said, uh, I said, Pop, can I borrow your Bible? I'd seen him with it before. Right. And he said, yeah, you can borrow it. And he gave me that old, big old King James version. That's and I great. took it down there and laid in that bed, brother. And I didn't come out of that cell for 11 days. No kidding. And when I come up out of there, I had the fire was in me and the anointing was on me. And the wow. men in that cell block, um, it just, it, it, you know, the Holy Spirit's contagious in a way, I like to say. It is, yeah. And they could they could sense it and they knew that something was going on with me because they had been in there with me for a little while. And brother, I tell you what, one guy ends up coming in. He starts talking to me about what's going on and and I start explaining it to him. And then he said, well, can I come over and start reading a little bit with you? And I said, yeah, we started reading the Bible. And and I'll just get through this version quick of, of this quick little story here. But it's a whole chapter in itself. When I was that uh, that cell block right there, like I said, I was the only white guy in there. It was right. BET 24 hours a day, Rap City 24 hours a day, Domino slamming, card slamming. Right. By the time I left up out of there, after I got my sentence about six months later, it was the Trinity Broadcast Network. No kidding. <laughs> oh, my word, brother. It was amazing. Even the, even the officers would walk by and be like, what in the world is going on in this cell block? That is great, dude. Because they've got multiple cell blocks. So right. in this particular one, it turned into uh, it turned into God's house, you know? Right. I got I got an opportunity one time to uh, a few years back. I got to talk to a guy by the name of Lyndon Nakuza, and he had uh, set up a program called Malachi Dads in um, Angola Prison, uh, which is down in down, I think it's in Louisiana. Um, it used to be one of the worst prisons in the world. Uh, you know, murder just about every day. One of the most violent prisons for sure. <clears throat> and he went in and he started this thing called Malachi Dads, and um, and they started a discipleship program. And it was basically a a, a, a Paul, you know, learning to be a Paul, you know, training your Timothy and listening to a Barnabas and a, and an Ananias. And they started teaching these people. And the next thing you know, because the warden was a Christian, and he brought this program in as well. Um, the next thing you know, Angola's crime rate had dropped by 50%. Um, they, for the first time in the, the history of uh, the prisons, they started taking graduating disciples from this program and sending them two by two to different prisons all around. And the next thing you know, this that you're talking about the Holy Spirit being infectious. The next thing you know, you see these other prisons, crime rates drop, and all of these people start giving their life to the Lord. And this program just kind of kind of blew up 
in this Malachi dad program was um, what they would do is they would actually bring the kids in twice a year um, and teach the dads how to be fathers to their children, even though they're in prison, you know, teaching them scripture, teaching them how to talk to them, teaching them how to, you know, put their arm around them and love on them and do all this kind of stuff. And so uh, I love what you said about the Holy spirit being infectious because you're exactly right. I think, you know, as a pastor, I love watching the Holy spirit become infectious in the church, you know, just watching uh, people get excited. And the next thing you know, that there's a couple more people excited and a couple more people excited. And uh, it is very infectious when it's, it's done correctly. So that that's a great analogy. I love that story. Yeah, brother. I love it too. And I am familiar with the Angola story. I actually studied that a little bit. Um, throughout those years that I was in federal prison after this happened, I just became uh, very studious when it came to the word of God, to church Praise history, um, studied in, in Angola and what happened down there. Um, talk, you know, I heard that Billy Graham had his casket built by the inmates in Angola. Right. Um, huh. That's yeah, great. Old cardboard box with some worn out Walmart stuffing in it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That is great. That is great. Well, so you said you ended up, so you got your sentence. This is after you're waiting for your sentence and then you got your sentence and then they sent you, where did they send you then? Okay. So they end up in the federal system. They can just send you about anywhere. Back right. then they used to send you way away from home, especially if you didn't cooperate with the government. If you weren't right. snitching, you were going to end up in California or New York or Florida. And I ended up in Florida. So I ended up about a thousand miles away from any person that I knew. Um, and boy, did that turn out to be a blessing. I'm just telling you right now, it was awesome. But uh, so so let me tell you, I get down there and I have to learn how to be in prison and not be a gangster. Right. But I have to carry myself like a man because I'm not a right. soft man. I've never been a soft man. It would be against my nature to be a soft man because of the way I was raised since I was such a young, a young lad, you know. Right. You know, you so, say uh, you say that, and I always think of Paul. I can't imagine Paul. Being a soft man, it would have been impossible. Yeah, I would have exactly. had to fake it, and I just right. can't do that. Right, you know, I, exactly. I just can't do that, brother. I mean, I on the street, uh, Jody. I've had my eye knocked out, brother. I've had my jaw broken. I got steel plates in my chin. I've had stitches <laughs> behind my ear. I mean, I was a fighter. I was a right. boxer, and I was a fighter on the street. And just, it's just not possible. I got big burns on my chest. So you know, I'm a hardened man at that point. Right. When I get down there to Coleman, Florida, where I was at, about in the middle of Florida swamps, and I'm still, I find a few Christians that are the real ones. You right. know what I mean when I say that. You know, there yeah. are some guys that go to prison that grab a Bible. There's a such thing as a jailhouse religion. The guy's right. hiding over there because he's some type of child molester or snitch or whatever the case may be. Right. Um, that would never suit me, brother. And I couldn't have those type of men around me. I, you know, I just... I know the type of men that I feel comfortable being around that I can jam right. with. And I was able to find a few of them Got and um, about 2004. So we're going to go about a year into this thing. And I'm really into the word and I'm studying. I'm trying to learn the word because I don't know any better. I don't know anything about the church or traditions. I was taking communion before every meal because I believed in the word that it said, do this as often as you're reminded of me. And so I said, well, Lord, I'll think about you all the time. So every time I break bread or take a drink, you know what I mean? I'm just right. doing it. Exactly. I'm, I'm taking the word literally. That's awesome. Well, in the fall of 2004, I come across a spot about the Holy Spirit. Really 
doing a study on the Holy Spirit, and I come across Luke there, Luke chapter 11, I think is about verse 13. And the Lord said, you know, which one of you, you know, would give your son a snake if he asked for an egg? Mm. And how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit? And so I said, you know what, Lord? Yes, indeed. This is for me. I am your son. I know I'm born again. I'm asking for it. So I went over to my buddy's house. There's a black fellow. His name Aaron. He loved the Lord. He had played Division II football at the University of Maine. He ended up getting into some trouble for some oh. steroids and stuff. He was a good man. He helped me out. I didn't have any money in there at all. So he always made sure I ate pretty good, and he, and he loved to read the Bible. And uh, I said, Aaron, let's pray. I want to pray for this. I want to pray for this Holy Spirit right here. And he said, all right, I'll pray with you. you know, so I got down there, and I prayed, and I told the Lord, I said, listen, Lord, this is for me 100%. I'm your son, and I'm asking for it. You said you'll give it to me. I'm mm. taking you at your word. Nothing happens. I don't know if I expect something to happen. Right, exactly. The yeah. next day, I was walking in front of Aaron's cell, waiting to go to chow. And uh, everybody had cleared out of the unit. He was late, as usual. And uh, that little voice, man, that little still small voice, the way he does, he says, go ahead and open your mouth right now and just let it go. Just kind of right. open your mouth and let it go. This is what he said. So I said, open your mouth and let it go. <laughs> so I just opened my mouth, brother, and my stomach, my belly right there just got to rumbling real big. And it just, you know what I'm talking about. Right. Man. It started pouring out of my mouth, brother. I'm speaking in tongues. It's coming out of me so fast. I don't even know what this is. I wow. go take off to the cell. I don't stop and say anything to Aaron. I go take off to the cell and shut the door and hit my knees. And it's just coming out of me. It's the greatest feeling in the history of the world. It was the greatest event in my life, greater than my own children being born. Wow. And I just let that go for probably five minutes, man. And I just, first words I spoke in English, brother, I looked up at the ceiling and I said, Jesus, I knew you was there <laughs> because I did. You know, I right. believed, I believed right. that I was born again. But when that happened right there, that was it. I right. knew for sure that Jesus is the son of God, God in the flesh, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. I knew that that was all true. The words in that Bible were true. And after that, brother, you, I was on fire. Right. On right. fire. <laughs> yes. That's great, brother. <clears throat> that is awesome. So that was 2004. Yes, sir. Um, and you said you just got out nine months ago. Yes. Is that correct? Okay. And uh, so you've, you've, you finally found what I would call the love that you've been looking for, you know, the yeah. father that you didn't have and, um, you know, brothers, uh, in a cell that, you know, had the same that you were desiring and, and they, you all had that camaraderie, uh, to an extent. And you also had the same spirit, which is, is amazing, you know, especially in those close quarters and, you know, you don't, there's not a whole lot to do uh, other than probably just dive into the word and prayer and fellowship and, you know, just kind of watching your back. So what did you do from there? Well, I tell you what, I, you know, my personality and, and I believe this 100 percent, you know, I, I use the analogy of when the spies were sent out into the land mm -hmm. and 10 of them came back and they had a bad report. Everybody knows this story. And then a couple right. of them come back and said, no, we're well able to take it. And the Lord said, I put a different spirit in them, right. you know, and I believe that from birth, you know, the Lord knows before we're created in that womb, man, he knows the type of spirit that he's going to put into each one of us. And the spirit that he put into me, my my human spirit, 
is just so full of determination and drive that I told the Lord, I need to see you every day, Lord. I need you in my life every day. I need the supernatural in my life every day. So the men around me, some of them understood that want and that desire, but it became so much for me that I would just, I would read the Bible, you know, six hours, seven hours a day. And of course, hold down a job inside the prison. And I would, you know, but I didn't really, at that time, I didn't know where to really turn to understand everything that I was reading other than what the Lord would give me. Right. And, and that's when this following situation happened, which, which I know was God intervening. I was laying in my bed, reading the Bible. I just got off work at three 30. It was 2005. It was October, 2005. And, um, Guy came in my cell, brother, and disrespected me completely. Didn't know me. He knew my roommate, who my roommate was at that time. And uh, it wasn't that day. You know what I mean? I, I just got in my flesh and it wasn't that day. And I jumped off that bed and put my shoes on. I told my roommate, you know, that's your company right there. You're supposed to keep him in line right. so that I don't have to because I don't know that man. And he's outside my race. I said, but I'm going right. to go out here and I'm going to whoop him. And I shouldn't, you know what I mean? But I was right. in, in, a, in that mood, man. And I went out there and I gave the guy a chance to, uh, to apologize for the way he talked to me, but he wasn't going to do that because he's 240 pounds and I'm 160 pounds. <laughs> so I whooped him out there in front of about 200 guys. You know what I mean? And right. uh, everybody just stand back and watch until the police come running. They say, man, what in the world was that? Cause they don't, they can't see that coming. Cause all I do is sit around and read the Bible all day. Right. So right. I'm thinking, what is this? <laughs> so I end up going to solitary confinement for a little over a month. And um, just, man, just amazing, amazing things happening back there. You know, God, he's able to do stuff. Um, you know, I, I, this what I want to tell you is how I actually ended up getting a super solid doctrine. Okay, so I'll, in the solitary confinement, incredible things happen. I end up getting in, put in a cell with a true Satan worshiper, and it just it just ends up being amazing. As a matter of fact, I am going to share it, Joe. You said yeah, we got plenty do. of time? We got plenty of time, brother. You share all you. I okay. want to hear it all. Okay. Two weeks in, when you're in solitary confinement, you got to go see what's called a disciplinary hearing officer, and they're going to find you guilty or not guilty. I'm guilty okay. of sin. I'm right. going to take fighting this guy. Right. I go in there, and they find me guilty. They strip you. They take all your property from you. They, they they take your radio that they allowed you to have back there while you're waiting on that hearing, whatever cosmetics you have. And they take you to another complete unit, a range on the unit, and they lock you in there. Wow. So when they take me in there and they put me in there, I've got them cuffed up behind my back. So after the cop uh, locks the door, I turn around to get the cuffs off. And he said, no, step to the back of the cell. You're getting a cell. I said, all right. So I step to the back of the cell. He puts he puts a guy in the cell with me. I got to describe to to you, brother, what this man looked like. He had white, shined up porcelain looking bones. He had one out of the left cheek, one out of the right cheek, and one across the middle nostril in his nose. Okay, each wow. one sticking out about three inches. Now, you can't have these in prison. This is not right. a fashion show in prison, okay? Right. But he has had these implanted in his face before he ever caught his federal sentence. And the only way the BOP could get them out of his face was for him to have some sort of surgery. It's not just Holy like something you can just out of here, you know? Right. So they put this monster in there. I say monster. He's a human being, okay? But I right. would say at this moment, this is what he looks like. Right. He's got tattoos all across his neck, down, up and down, the, everywhere. And he wow. turns around 
and the cop takes the cuffs off of him. So I'm standing in the back of the cell and I'm cuffed. The cop takes the cuffs off of him. It's a steel door and all he does is open a chuckle and takes the cuffs off. Right. The man looks at me, reaches into his waistband and pulls a knife out. Oh, it's got about no. a 10 inch blade on it. It's, it's, it's got a 10 inch shank on the end of it. And that doesn't count the handle. It's a monster. It's what we call a oh, bone. Right. If you hit somebody with this, it'd be like shooting with a gun. You're going to kill them. No. Because it's, it's shaped like an ice pit. Okay. Okay. And I'm looking at him, brother. I'm looking at him dead in his eyes. And he's looking at me. I don't know how in the world he ever got it past the police, but he had it right. up right. in his waistband in the front. He walks by me. I'm looking at him. And he puts it under the bunk, the top bunk. I back up, never take my eyes off of him. The officer takes the cuffs off of me. Officer shuts the chuck hole and walks off. He's never seen a thing. He has no right. idea what's going on. And I'm standing there just looking at the man. I'm not sure how this is going to go. Right. He turned around and looked at me, bro. And he, this is the words that come out of his mouth. Just like this. Now, I'm going to try to do this for you. Okay. How, how he, said, right. he said, you're a Christian, ain't you? So now I got to be kind of tough, too. Oh, wow. So I said, yeah, I, I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, I am a Christian. I said, but why would you say that? Because I'm back here in the hole for fighting. He said, I said that because I'm a devil worshiper, a real one. He said, you'll oh. see they're about to bring me all my books. My religious books are coming back here. I've got the satanic Bible, all the books on witchcraft. He said, and when they put me in the cell with you, I could feel vibrations in my body from the spirit that's in you. That's don't awesome. ever touch me. Those were his words. Don't ever touch me. Wow. So I'm looking at the man like, oh, man. Now, this is wow. a revelation right here, first of all. Right, exactly. I said, brother, now I'm relieved. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm relieved that this isn't going to that other level. I said, brother, I will never touch you. And he looked at me again, dead in the eyes. He said, I mean it, man. Don't ever touch me. I said, I can never see a scenario where I would touch you, brother. Right. He said, all right. And that was that. So this wow. man is is a monster with a knife, and he's scared to death that I'm going to put my hands on him because he could wow. feel vibrations in his body because the Holy Spirit was in me. Wow. So here's what happens. Praise he ends up God. getting all his books in there, and he's got that stupid satanic Bible that that punk out in San Francisco wrote, and he's got these other books on witchcraft and demonology and all these pentagrams and all this other stuff. And I've got my Holy Bible comes in the chuck hole, too. I said, I'll tell you what, man. I said, I'll make a deal with you. I said, we'll read a chapter out of your Bible every night, and we'll read a chapter out of the New Testament of my Bible. And he said, you ain't scared to do that? I said, man, I ain't scared of nothing, man. I'm covered in the blood of Jesus, brother. I ain't been scared of nothing. I wasn't scared of nothing before I got Jesus. I ain't scared of nothing. Jesus, brother. He said, man, you're the first Christian I ever met that would do that. I said, yeah, brother. I said, you want to do it? He said, yeah, I'll do it. So that I would sit there great. in the evening. I started right there in Matthew, started going through chapter by chapter. I'd read a chapter or two out of mine. I'd pick up his stupidity and I'd read a chapter or two out of it. And it's just the exact opposite of God's word is all it is. Right. It's, just, it's just pure stupidity. It's, you, you've seen it. Right. And you now it's everything about fulfilling the lust of the flesh and yes. you know just whatever you feel like is good for you. Yeah. And forget about the next man. We get about halfway through the New Testament. We've been in here now a couple of weeks. And he looks down. And he says, you know what, man, let's just go ahead and read yours, man. He no, said, we put, yeah. we just put mine away for now. We just read yours. I said, all right, we can do that. I didn't question him about it. I didn't ask him why he decided he wanted to do that. And I just sat there and I started to read that word to him. We got all the way up to the book of Revelation. They came and tapped on the door one day and they said, well, you're getting out of the hole. 
when I left that man in that cell, we shook hands. I'm not going to tell you the man got born again in that situation because right. he did not. But he knew he was in the presence with a real Christian. He knew Praise that. God. Yes, sir. Praise God, dude. That is awesome. So why why do you think, you know, again, you know, I'm a pastor. I, I've traveled, you know, for the last 10 years for Man Up God's Way doing conferences and just trying to get men, you know, the term that I always use is spiritual sissies. Yeah. You know, they, they, you and I grew up in a time when, you know, I'm 53 and the way that we settled things when I was growing up was just like what you're saying. We fought like we literally fought at school. We fought after school. We went to the ROTC field, you know, we fought, you know, and that was, you know, five minutes later, we were best friends and we got those things out of our, out of our system, so to speak. And, um, you know, anytime that I was ever called a sissy, and I know probably the same for you is, you know, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to buck up and, you know, say who you calling a sissy or you're going to cower down and walk away. And I think God is just looking down at, you know, the, the Christian men right now, especially the Christian man and, and saying, man, I gave you my son. I gave you my word. I gave you my Holy Spirit. What are you doing? Like, look at all the spiritual sissies. So what are you going to do now? I say all that to say, why do you think, why do you think like, you know, in, in prison, I mean, you found, was it the noise that went away? Was it, uh, what was it? Your, your mind was able to just settle down for a little while. Why do you think all of a sudden, you know, you gave your life to the Lord and the next thing you know, man, he is just pouring into you and here you are pouring into other people with essentially what most people would say, no hope. I mean, you're going to be doing the same thing for the next umpteen years, uh, day by day, by day, by day. For most people mentally, that would take them to a place of gosh, so much despair. I mean, you look at people now, they, they, they have the world at their, at their feet, so to speak. And yet they're miserable and, and, you know, they're, they're not partaking, um, you know, the church right now is fading away, um, in the United States because they don't have this excitement like what you're talking about here. What what do you think it is that made it different for you in prison than for most free people that are in church? I well, I go back to authenticity. You know what I mean? God knows this guys. Okay. Yeah. And I think it also comes down to availability. Right. You know, I was good. yeah, I would there was no way in the world that I could possibly be a Christian that could just maybe do a Bible study, sing a few songs until I get myself worked up into a frenzy, walk out of church feeling good. Right. And consider that my life, brother. It is no way I it's, could do that. That now, is, is almost, that, that's almost, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's almost verbatim what I say. Like I would not come to church if, if I weren't, involved if i weren't making disciples if i weren't sharing the gospel if i weren't yeah. serving the poor and the, you know, like if i weren't doing those things man i wouldn't come to church that's a waste of sunday yeah ain't no way bro i would have went yeah. back to the street right yeah exactly there's just no, there's just no way right. but see i had to find something and i i believe that god knew that i had to find when i say something i had to find some sort of a balance Praise okay, God. I can't yeah. be a Christian and just go in here and just be fighting right and left, right and left in prison. I had to figure out this walk. I can't be soft. I've got to be myself, but I also can't live like the world because I'm different than that. Right. And that's when this happens. I am released from solitary confinement. 
I am walking across the rec yard in a prison with about 2,000 people in it. And a little old Puerto Rican man, about 60 years old, walked up to me. And he said, I want to sow into your ministry. Wow. Now, this fella don't know me. I do not right. know this man. I said, Pop, you want to sow into my ministry? He said, yeah. I said, Pop, I just got out of the hole for fighting. I think you've got me confused with somebody else. <laughs> and he said, God doesn't care about that. And I don't care about that. The books are already on the way. The Lord spoke to me about it. I already called my wife and she's ordered them and they're on the way right now. Praise God. That was in 2005. This is 2022. That man's still my friend to this day. No kidding. Oh, man. Let me oh, tell you what he got awesome. me. So here comes these books. We start talking. I'm like, man, who are you? He said, well, I was a I was an inmate pastor in the penitentiary in Atlanta, Georgia. He said, um, I'm almost done serving this time. He had 25 years, so he was going to do 22 or 25. Wow. He said, and I've been I've been praying this all these years and I've been, you know, being faithful to the Lord. And he spoke to me directly about you. And I knew when I saw you walking across this field, who who exactly you are. And wow. man, let me tell you, the books came and it was Smith Wigglesworth and John G. Lake and Catherine Kuhlman and Mariah Woodworth Edder. And you know what that did. Yeah. So I'm like, well, hold on now. Once I got in there and I started reading now, it's like, now here's some real bold, courageous men of faith. Right. That that heroic spirit that Jesus puts in us, yep. they were able to use that and they were able to to use that for God's kingdom, for something good right. to assault the kingdom of hell. And man, that just brother, that just radically changed me, man. It opened the scriptures up for me. That's it, great. It, yeah, it was just awesome, man. Ever increasing faith by Wigglesworth and uh, John G. Lake's Adventures in God. I've got a story about that book, brother, that'll make your skin crawl. I tell people that story. I, I've got documentation on that story still to this day. Um, it's just, it's just, it's, it's been incredible. That really started. Praise God, brother. Yeah, that was the catalyst. <laughs> Of, of just the supernatural realm, just opening up and seeing a lot of miracles and a lot of answers to prayer, bro. That's the great thing about God. You know, we, we go through this process of sanctification, which is just a, a Christianese word of just learning to be better today than I was yesterday in God's eyes. And it, it, he takes you through this process of just, you know, um, you had some rough edges that needed to be worn off. And sometimes, you know, those are in through fights. Sometimes those are in through, you know, um, outburst of anger, uh, you know, and, some, and, and, and they get, if you're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, they get further and further and further away from each other. That's the, that's what sanctification is all about. Eventually where you're learning to repent. And so then you do a total 180 and you walk away from those sins. And that's where I, I believe a lot of Christians, you know, struggle with when I first gave my life, I was an atheist prior to giving my life to the Lord. You know, I, I was, I wasn't a devil worshiper, but I sure did like the occult. You know, I loved, uh, you know, the omen. I loved, um, uh, like all the scary, you know, demonic movies for some reason. And when I got saved, um, first book I read was the book of revelation because every one of those movies always had the book of revelation, you know, something about the book of revelation about it. <clears throat> and, as I started literally reading the Bible after I got through the revelations, I, I, I just like what you said, I, I fell in love with it. Like it became a hunger and a thirst that I could not, I, I could not um, satisfy. And I just kept reading and reading and reading and reading. And, um, you know, by the grace of God, I've been through the Bible probably 
I'm in, you know, 20, almost 20 years now of my salvation. Next year will be 20 years. Uh, I've gone through it at least 25, 30 times. And, you know, it just continued to read it. And that's, that, that, that's not including my studies. You know, that's, that's just reading, you know, just continuing to, to, to eat it and, and drink of it every single day. And, you know, I, I, all of a sudden the, the flesh things, you know, when I first gave my life to the Lord, the fleshly things were going away. I quit cussing immediately. Like that was the first thing that was gone. And, you know, I was in the military and cussed like a, I wasn't in a, a sailor, but I cussed like a sailor. Uh, I was in the army and, uh, and then, uh, I liked to fight. I was like you, I love to fight. Um, and, and that was, you know, every time that I'd walk into a bar I'd always, you know, by the end of the night, I was trying to pick somebody out that I was going to, you know, at least fight or whatever. And, you know, the Lord took, tried to take that away pretty much. You know, I, I quit drinking, I quit smoking, I quit doing all these outward things that, you know, were not good for me. And, and, you know, as you read the Bible, you realize you need to treat your body like a temple and these things that were causing problems. And my drinking was a major problem. And so God took all those away. And, you know, the one thing that it took me years to get rid of was anger. And I had this anger stuffed in me and, and I had an outburst like what you did where I was discipling this guy and he was an alcoholic and I was trying to drive him home one day. And all of a sudden he headbutted me in the side of the head, like just out of the blue, he just reached over the side of the, you know, the, the console and he just, bam, while I was driving, just headbutted me right in the cheek. And I stopped the car. And the next thing I know, all I remember was him trying to pick his teeth up out of the floorboard mm -hmm. after I just like lost it. And, and I was an assistant pastor at this time. So I called my elders and my pastor and I, I, I said, well, you know, I need you to meet me at the church and here's what happened. And I just remember at the altar, just, just saying, really, God, what, why that? And he revealed to me a sin, you know, something that was in my past that, I've talked about before in the podcast, but it was uh, a moment where I just, I just had this anger and this anger and this anger, and I took it out on somebody else. Since then, that anger has gone away. And, and my point in telling you that story is that, you know, where you were, I could see that, I mean, you had a whole lot of sanctification to work on. You know, you had a lifestyle that, you know, you had to keep to an extent. I mean, think about you, you going to prison, you got to kind of, I mean, you're not going in there and, and, and not letting people know that you're, you don't need to be messed with or, or you're going to be messed with. And so you had this air about you that you had to keep uh, to an extent. And sometimes you had to show it. And um, I, I love, you know, God's grace in our life, uh, how he, he allows us to make some of those stupid mistakes where we can look back on it and go, Oh, that was not smart. You know, here's how I fix that. And here's what I do next time. And so, you walked out of there and this, this guy, and, and that's, that was the last time that you got angry like that. Is that pretty much what you were? Oh, no. Lord, no? no. Okay. Because no, <laughs> okay, if you did that in prison, man, I'm going to be really impressed. So yeah, no, uh, sir. No. And uh, let's see the last time that I got in a fight uh, was December 23rd, 2014. And, um, Tried to avoid that. Fella took a swing at me and uh, he missed and I did not. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was bad. It was, um, you know, it was the same situation that you just had, man. It was, it was really bad. They put me in solitary confinement for that one for four months. 
And um, they ended up sending me to a higher security level. And uh, wow. yeah. but uh, that, yeah, that was the last one. Is that when you went to Marion? Uh, no, I ended up over in Marion a few years after that. Okay. A few years after I ended up over in Marion. See, Marion's not the ADX that it used to be. It okay. used to be the ADX with John Gotti and everybody yeah, else. Yeah, and had Gotti and everybody. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, now it's a, what's considered a medium high. Okay. But it is, there's still quite a bit of violence there. And there's a stench of death there. There's a principality. I believe there's a principality over mm. that particular prison that wow. he's got a stronghold there and because there's been you know correctional officers that have been killed there and um so it's a very ugly very dank nasty ugly place of all the right. prisons that i've been in i feel like that one had the strongest demonic presence in it you could just feel it especially wow. in certain areas of the prison um and so that's where i did a year in solitary confinement Okay. So there's like, you say that, um, I used to travel a lot, you know, since COVID, I haven't done a lot of traveling, but there's two places that I fly into that make me feel like, have you ever seen the movie Ghostbusters where they got the evil ooze under New York city, you know, like yeah. the, the slime, the evil ooze. Yeah. Las Vegas and Washington DC both feel like that. When I fly into those, I, I get, I have this, whatever go up the back of my spine and like the 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 principality is there you know you can just feel it and both of those places are like that i know i know exactly what you're feeling yep i after doing that year that that i that i end up doing a year straight in the hole of just solid praying and fasting oh wow um, i became very sensitive to that and, and i'll i'll get into that in a moment but i i would really like to just pivot on that what you just said about feeling that I was asked to speak at Bradley University. Oh, it's probably been a month and a half ago now to a class of a, of a bunch of students that are going to go on to be future uh, judges and lawyers or criminal justice class. And it was on violence in America. And right. So I was asked to speak there and they gave me the floor there for about two hours. Wow. And so I spoke about a lot of things and I spoke about prison. I spoke about my experience in prison, but I also gave him some out of the box ideas, some solutions to some violent crime issues that are plaguing the country that can be dealt with on a natural level without getting into the spiritual. But I would always go back. Oh, and for maybe once a half hour and remind them of what worked for me. Right. And that I know that that's not a religious university. And I and right. I understand that it's not being taught there. In fact, they're probably being taught the opposite of what I'm saying. But right. the way that I am, the way that I am is because of Jesus Christ. Amen. And towards the end, about a half a half hour left in this talk that we were having, and I was taking rapid fire questions from all of them. I said, I, I need to explain something to you, uh, men and women in this class. Um, if you go to home, Remember a scenario where you've pulled up to your own home, maybe, and you know that something's not right in the home. The mother and father have been in there fighting. They've been in there. It's not a physical fight. It's a, it's a knockdown, drag out argument. I don't know right. what it's about, but it could be about anything. They see you pull up in the driveway. And by the time you put your key in the door and walk in the door, they're smiling at you. And they said, Jody, how was your day today? Can we right. make you something to eat? How you doing? Everything looks the same, but something feels different. And you can feel it in the atmosphere. The atmosphere is charged with what was just going on in that room before you walked in there. When I explained that story like that, that analogy, every head, every head in that classroom was nodding yes. They'd all experienced it in their life. 
Right. You know, even the natural man knows that these things are there. They can't see them. They right. don't know exactly what they are, but they know that they can feel them from time to time. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, that's a great story. What a, what a great opportunity for you to be able to, to, to do that. Like, um, I, it's, it's, it's cool how God placed you there because it wasn't like it was a bunch of misfits that, you know, you kind of needed to scare into, um, you know, scare straight, so to speak. Um, they, there were kids that were going to be in the system that you've come from for the last 19 years. I mean, you, you've been on the front end and the back end and, and the, and the whole middle for, for 19 years, man. And, what a great insight that um, that they would allow you to come in and, and actually talk about that. That is really cool. That is awesome, man. God is really moving in your life big time. He is, brother. He is. And, you know, I, I do have that story. I have that that the being in prison for most of my life story and, and being born again, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all that and being a minister in prison, helping helping drug addicts and abuse victims and stuff like that. But at the same time, one of the things I would do, Jody, I would fast for long periods of time, which we, we, we can get into Praise that God. in a minute. But I would do that and I would open my Bible. I'd read a chapter. I might read John chapter three and then I'd pray for a half hour in the spirit. And then I'd read John chapter four and then I'd pray for a half hour in the spirit. And I would just do that over and over and over because I would tell the Holy Spirit, I need you to reveal this word to me on right. such a deep level somehow I've got to be able to explain it to these men that are around me. Because if I try to take the men that I'm in prison with some sort of churchianity, it's right. not going to work, brother. Yeah, exactly. It's not. No, sir. When I see these outside ministries come into the prison, a lot of times, brother, the reason that that's so ineffective is because they're bringing the American church into the prison. You guys aren't receiving right. that. They're right. happy to see you. They're glad you took the time out of your day, but they're walking right back out of there and going to the gambling table or going to the dope right. man, you know? Right. But, but, brother, let me tell you, when I did that year in solitary confinement, about a few months into it, when I really started fasting heavy and, right. and I told the Lord Jesus, I said, I need you to so radically change the course of my life. And, you know, I, I did week long fasts and, you know, mm. just every week I would fast for at least 30 hours, sometimes for two or three days. And then, you know, once every six months, I'd fast for seven days, probably six months into that, bro, the Lord really started to reveal himself to me in a supernatural way. Wow. He would, you know, some of the stuff that he did, I, I wrote down so much of it was happening that I literally started writing things down that he was doing. I said, I'm going to keep just a, just a few little notes of this. You know what I mean? A little journal of what is going on back here. Right. But one of the things that was happening is that the men that were around me, even though they couldn't see me physically because we were in solitary confinement, they could hear me and they could hear me speak. And they knew that I was there and I knew that they were there. And these are some of the roughest of the rough. Now, these are men that are in the prison, inside the prison. You know what I mean? The prison right. has a prison inside of it for the guys that can't behave inside the prison. And that's right. where we are. And that's where I was for that year in the cell by myself with the Bible in prayer and fasting. And you know what that was, Jody? That was the greatest opportunity that any man to ever walk the earth could have. Wow. Because unlike in you, what you're doing with your life, which is just incredible and awesome, but you have a, to keep up with that life. Most guys right. would have to keep up with their nine to five and their family right. and these other things. Brother, I didn't have to do any of that. Right. All I had to do was focus on the Lord and learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit and learn how to help these men that were around me. And when I could present the risen Jesus as a remedy, it was on. 
Oh, man. I mean, it was on, brother. These men right. were like, are you serious? They would say, are you serious? I said, I'm telling you, this is the remedy, brothers. This thing is true 100%. Ain't none of it a lie. Oh. I don't care how man's corrupted it. I would give them Jesus as a remedy. Them guys were getting born again like crazy, brother. I seen two of them back there receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. On my Praise word of honor. They were so Praise embarrassed God. about it that they sent me a kite. They write down something on a piece of paper, throw it down to my cell. And say, hey, man, I need to talk to you bad, man. That stuff you told me about that. You sit down at uh, God's Generals by Robert Laird or you sit down at Smith Wigglesworth or something like that. So, man, I'm down here speaking in tongues, man. What is going on? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it was it was an incredible, incredible time. I got a testimony from something that happened back there that. It has it affect it has affected a lot of people when I share this story because some people knew the man that this happened with. Okay. Right. And there were many men that were there that saw this happen. I started to get some dreams from the Lord. And I personally believe this. Okay. And I'm 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 not a Bible scholar, but I have read it a bunch too. But I believe when the Lord gives you a dream, he lets you know it's from it's from me. I don't have to go to somebody else and say, Hey, will you explain this dream to me or whatever? Right. I go look at Joseph in Genesis and I say, Okay. The Lord, you know, who, right. the Lord is the one that get a dreams. He's going to tell me what it means. Right. And he started to give me dreams. And, and when he would give it to me the very next day, whatever he showed me in the dream would happen. So I'm telling my neighbor about this big old skinhead, gnarly looking rascal, huge tattoos all over his neck, just big <laughs> as anything you ever seen in your life, big loopholes in his ears. But he respects me because he knows I'm a man. He knows I ain't no punk, but he, right. he knows that I'm over there studying the Bible and he knows I'm over there fasting and stuff. Cause a lot of times I'll give him the food. You know right. what I mean? I'll figure out a way to swing it over there to his cell. And I said, Hey, you know, I'd been explaining to him what the Lord was doing and he'd start to interact with me a little bit about the Bible and, and ask me different questions about it because there's a lot of bad doctrines in prison. A lot of them are right. race related. You know, right. they might latch on to this doctrine because it's more racist for this or that. Right. So I woke up in the morning, the Lord had given me a name. I wrote that name down. I said, I got another one over here, brother. I'd like to give it to you. He said, all right, send it down, Rooster. That's what they call me, Rooster. Rooster. So I wrote it down. I sent it over there to him. The next day, they brought two guys into that unit, two, two Mexican fellas, both of them Latin King gangbangers. And when they come in there, brother, they took them way down to the end of the tier, and I hollered down there. And I said, you know, I have to talk like a convict. I said, hey, home. If you don't mind me asking, what's your name? And he said, well, my name is Hustler. And I said, okay. I said, listen, brother, I'm not on nothing. I'm, I'm a Christian. You know right. what I mean? A real one. I said, if you don't mind me asking, man, what's your, what's your real name? He said, my real name is Fernando. Now, about the time that he let, got that O off the end of his tongue, my neighbor next door guards <laughs> going into a fit. He's laughing. That's the name on the paper. That's the name on the paper. I, I love said, it. hey, man, I need to I talk to you, it. man. I said, listen, I don't know what's going on in your life. And I, I, all I can tell you is that I know that the Lord Jesus is trying to get your attention. I said, I got wow. your name down here on a piece of paper, man. My neighbor's holding it. I had a dream about you last night. I'm a Christian, man. So the guy that they brought up there with him had been his roommate before. Wherever they right. was at before, that had been his roommate. He said, yo, that's crazy. He said, because just the other day, you was telling me how lost you felt. So this fella wow. here, he is embarrassed, Jody. He's completely embarrassed. He said, hey, I don't want to talk about this out here wow. on the streets no more. I said, brother, I respect that. I, we ain't got to talk about it. You know, he said, I'm going to send you a letter. So he sent me a letter down there. Tell me who he was and where he was from. I wrote him a letter back. I said, in the letter, I said, hey, man, is it possible that somebody's out there on the street praying for you? 
And he wrote me back and he said, yeah, my mama prays for me, man, every day, man. He said, my brother just got murdered on the streets of Chicago. I oh said, well, that's what's gosh. going on, brother. Them prayers that she's sending up has got through and God has intersected our passes. I, I don't know what Jesus is trying to say to you. He didn't tell me that, but I know he's trying to get your attention. You know what happened after that now? He well, you know saved. the man got born again. He, he, he got born again. Heck yeah. That's when that stuff that you was talking about, them boys was doing down there in Angola where they were sending them guys to different places. Right. Two by two. Now, when you're in solitary confinement like that, right. you're not back there forever. Right. They figure out what they're going to do with you, and then they end up shipping you to another prison. Well, watch what God does right here. It comes my time to get shipped to another prison. Obama's already signed a piece of paper, some type of memo said, you can't keep nobody in solitary confinement back here for longer than six months. Oh, wow. It, com it comes my time to get transferred. They put me in for transfer. They come back and they say, we've never seen nothing like it. But the transfer center in Grand Prairie, Texas, says that you're properly placed in solitary confinement. I said, OK, now, listen, I'm not surprised because right. I know Jesus is up to something. I've just seen too much at this point. I said, all right. right. So as other men are leaving that are getting saved back there. More men are coming in. Oh, I ended up staying back yeah. there a full year, 377 days. Even the warden came back there and said, I've never seen nothing like it. He said, we're no arguing kidding. with these people down in Texas trying to get you out of the hole. And they're telling us you're properly placed in the hole. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It no went on kidding. like that. I talked to the Lord about it. I said, Lord, you know I'm tired back here, man. Are you going to let me out of here or what? And then he gave me a dream. And in the dream, Jesus was driving the car. And I'm just sitting over in the passenger seat. The administration has told me we're getting you out of here. You'll be out of here next week. I said, all right. Yeah, all right. They don't, I mean, I'm wherever Jesus is taking me, he's taking me, man. In the dream, Jesus is driving. I get in the passenger seat. We start driving out of solitary confinement. I'm like, all right, here we go. And as we get to the end of the tunnel, that tunnel just closed like that. And the Lord just backed that car all the way back up to where I was at and got out of the vehicle. And I was still sitting there, but I had perfect peace. Right. I woke up in the morning. I knew I wasn't leaving. They come through there a few wow. days later and they said, you ain't going to believe this, man. They denied your transfer for the third time, said you're properly placed. I said, I know Holy it. cow. I said, I know it. Jody, it got so crazy. This was in 2017. I went in the beginning of May of 2017. I got out at the end of May 2018. Some Golly. of the officers that would work in my range that would walk through there about once every two or three hours. They can hear what's going on as we're yelling back and forth. They can't believe it. Because right. every other range back there is a madhouse. Right. It's just absolute insanity. They walk on our range. We're having Bible study, brother. Oh it is gosh, insane. Dude. I got the police coming to my bars, sticking their head up to the bars, brother, asking me to pray for them. No that's kidding. That's all Jesus, bro. That's all Jesus. That's not, that's not God, man. being some type of saint or being holy. It's about I was available. Right. The Lord needed somebody to do that right. job. And he said, man, if you're going to be available, my eyes will go to and, to and fro around the earth to right. find somebody that's going to be available. And I'm, we're going to do it together. I think that's why God put uh, Paul in prison. He was hell bent on getting to Rome. And if he hadn't gone to prison and did what he did, we'd have wouldn't have half the books that we do in the New Testament. You know, he, he wrote those in, in prison. God finally slowed him down enough to to do that. And um Man, that is that is so I, I hate that you were in solitaire for a year, but uh, at the same time, you know, in the end, uh, think of all the souls that have been saved because you were back there. What a what an amazing story, dude. Praise God. Awesome, brother. They took it to other prisons. Wow. 
Yes, Jody, that I'm still in awesome. touch. I got I got gangbangers in Chicago that never did get saved or born again. That are absolute killers, brother. That still try to reach out to me today. And guess what they say, brother? They say, "Hey, man, I'm jammed up over here, man. I got a bad problem. Will you pray for me?" Wow. So here's a man that's living totally the other way. You wouldn't think this man would believe in God at all, right. but because he sees God in you and he mm-hmm. believes that your fervent prayers are effectual, he'll reach out and he'll ask you to pray for him. And I believe, I right. believe the world needs some more of that, bro. Amen. Amen. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. I, I get that quite a bit, you know, as well as like, I don't believe in your God, but would you pray for me? Like, <laughs> you know, I had an old, old pastor one time. He told me, uh, he's, he was a kind of an evangelist and he would go around, you know, preaching to other churches And this country church, took him to this old guy's house that, you know, this old codger sitting up on his, uh, porch, you know, didn't want to be with anybody, didn't like anybody. And, uh, the old pastor walked up and, and asked him, he said, man, can I pray for you? And, uh, uh, the guy was like, I don't want you praying for, I don't believe in your God and anything like this. And, uh, the, the old pastor, he, he's like, all right, well, I'm gonna pray for you anyway. And he's, he kneeled down and he's like, dear Heavenly father. He's like, uh, would you please kill this guy and his family and everybody that he knows? And the old man was like, no, 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 I, I don't do that. Why would you do that? And he's like, well, I didn't think you believed in my God. And, uh, I, you know. <laughs> have people pray for you all the time but i don't i don't disagree man we need people praying more and more um and you know to 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 see ideally we want people to see jesus in us you know and that's that's what people were doing with you and they were seeing you know a different a different christianity like you know doing christianity and being christian are two different things you know when you're when you're when you're being Christian and doing Christianity, that is the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's what we've got to do more and more of. And you were doing that in prison, even in what I would consider again, you know, the, the rock bottom, I meant, you know, what I've seen in documentaries and movies and, and just, you know, hear, hear from other people, solitary confinement is not a place where most people survive uh, mentally. That is, you know? Um, and so you, not only made it mentally, but you were also productive while you were there. So when they finally released you, where did you end up going? Well, when I finally got released from there, I ended up going to Greenville. And i tell you what, now this is a, this is a theology upsetter right here, but I believe it's, it's relative to, to the conversation. Okay. So I've been back there this whole time and, and been going through this and I've seen God's, you know, supernatural hand in so much. And I'm very sensitive at this time to the Holy Spirit, as you can imagine, from doing all that fasting and all that. Sometimes, like I said, I'd pray in tongues for five hours a day. No problem. I didn't have nothing else. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to get in there close to God. And about a week before it was time for me to go, the Holy Spirit spoke to me real soft and easy. And he said, I want you to go steal a razor and I want you to shave your chest. Now. Imagine this. I've been in here. I am completely dedicated to the Lord. It wants me to shave the hair off my chest. Now, I got to question that. I have a right to ask him about that. And I said, Lord, but why? I don't understand that. Why? He said, you're going to see why. I need you to go do it. Now, there's only two things on my chest. I got a giant gang tattoo over one whole side of my chest. 
and I got a giant burn mark that was put in there with a knife that had been heated up with a with a propane torch. The fellas holding me down. It was just an ugly, ugly situation from when I was living in the world. Wow. So I go with that razor and I go and get all that hair up off of me. About a week later, they transfer me. They transfer me over to Greenville. Well, Greenville is full of a bunch of gangbangers from the gang that I was in. Oh, Predominantly no. when I was in the state of Illinois prison system. Remember, I had been all over Florida, Virginia, North Carolina, where people didn't even know about the gang that I was in that was from Illinois. Right. But when I got to Marion and over to Greenville, they're prominent. And wow. you have to be on gang time or you got to go to solitary confinement. You got to go to the shoe as like a check-in. Brother, I'm not no check-in. You know right. what I mean? That's that's where you put right. like, a, like a coward type dude. So I walk out there. There's in this prison, there was about a thousand guys in there. So you put that at about 500 beds in the prison. I could end up in any one of them. Wow. So there's four different units. Okay. Four units, 500 beds. They assigned me to the unit, to the bed that's in the cell with the dude that I was in prison 25 years ago that wow. was in my gang, that was a leader for my gang that I hadn't spoke to for 25 years. They put me in the cell with this guy and he said, I can't believe it. He said, this is this is unbelievable how we made this reconnection right here. I said, listen, let me tell you something. I said, brother, I am a on fire, born again Christian. I am not the man you knew 25 years ago. He said, what happened to you? Because he knows me from, I said, brother, I'm telling you, this thing is real. He's like, oh, Lord, I got to go to the rec yard. So he goes out to the rec yard. <laughs> I go I go with him. I go out to the rec yard. I start working out. I got my shirt off. I got that big, giant gang tattoo. There's right. no doubt what I was in my life. He's over there having a powwow with all the, the heads up and everybody else that's over there and the chiefs and everything. And he said, you right. see that guy right there? He said, that guy right there put in more work in prison than any of you. He said, I was with him 25 years ago when he was taking hits on a voluntary basis because he wow. was that type of a dude. He said, I'm telling you right now, the man told me he's a Christian and I believe him. He said, hey, that man, hands off of that man. Don't nobody touch him under any circumstance. And that was my situation. And Praise that's how God. that unfolded and what happened over there, man. It wow. was just an, an absolutely incredible thing. So I kind of became like an advisor, not kind of became, but actually became an advisor to gang chiefs in the right. prison. To keep the peace at times, if two wow. rival factions were going to try to go at it, they would have enough respect for me and 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 <laughs> believe that I had the wisdom in me from having been in prison all these years, from having been a gang member and now walking with the Lord, that I could defuse the situation. Now, let me tell you, the way that I diffused it wasn't always without violence. Right. If there's 50 guys over here that want to kill 50 guys over here because two guys, one from each group, got into it. And my advice is, here's what you do. You 50 guys violate that one guy. Take him in a room. Beat him up for about a minute. Don't kill him. Just beat him up. You 50 guys take your own guy and go beat him up for about a minute. And the other 99 ain't got to do nothing to each other. And that's it. Right. It's a done deal. brother. <laughs> Nobody's got to get killed here today, man. Keep the prison running smooth. Wow. Wow. Holy cow, man. What an amazing life that you've had so far. Oh my gosh. Jesus I, does it, bro. Jesus that, does it. 
I, I, you know it, you know it, brother, man. When we're living for the Lord 100%, I expect oh, yeah. supernatural every day, bro. Praise God. Where I'm at today, right now, nine months after doing almost almost 20 years in federal prison. When I, brother, I didn't, I've never seen a smartphone. Oh my never gosh. seen a smartphone. I have a business right now that's based on technology, bro. <laughs> it was all Jesus. When that three-minute video that I told you about, right? They came into that building where I'm working at and they took that video in there. It is professionally made. You're gonna love it. And I kind of explained in there, the Lord gave me a dream after I'd left solitary confinement. So we're right. going to fast forward into about 2020, 2021. Okay. He gives me a dream. All right. In this dream, there's scriptures on a wall and they're changing. So I wake up in the morning. I know the dreams from the Lord because I've had enough of them. I mean, I had right. dreams so specific. I had dreams where the Lord had me go down and get a C.S. Lewis book. And just it just it's incredible the way that he just, you know what I mean? Right. So I have this dream. I wake up in the morning, Jody, and I tell the Lord, I said, Lord, there's no way. I don't even understand what this could possibly be. Next night, brother, gives me the dream, shows me how it's going to work, shows me how the technology is going to work. I never told a soul. Got out of prison, tried to go back to just, you know, I want to reacclimate to society. I want to just get a, maybe a construction job, just walk with the Lord and just, you know, learn how to use the cell phone and learn right. how to, you know, be a father to my grown children again. And the Lord told me one week out, he said, if you don't do something with that idea I gave you, I'll give it to somebody else. And I said, all right. And eventually just started just meeting people here in this community, here in Peoria, Illinois. And the next thing you know, man, I've got a, I've got a thing, brother. Praise God, dude. And it's called Jesus Speaks LLC. And it's um, the, uh, what's the website? That's what it is. It's okay, JesusSpeaksLLC.com. It .com. Okay, cool. And it's basically a, a picture frame that scripture comes into. Is that correct? Like a, it's a. No, That's it's exactly a what screen. it is, bro. It's not a screen. It's a screen. Okay. Awesome. What it is. What it just, a it, yeah, rotate scriptures. But the, the way that he showed it to me in the dream was that it would just automatically put a new scripture up there every day. Wow. So when you went to work at 730 in the morning, there'd be another scripture. scripture. Yeah. And, you know, but people that have been looking at them, they're like, well, you know, I'd like mine to change once an hour. I said, OK, that's real simple, too. And we got, That's so you right. know what I mean? I just want you to be able to plug it in and make it work. And I'm going to tell you why. Praise Here's something God. that happened. Okay. I, you, you, we're old enough to remember this. I can remember when I was a kid, bro. And it was devastating poverty at home, devastating abuse at home. And I might go to somebody's house that played on my baseball team or on my football team. And in their house would be that picture with them footprints in the sand. Right. You know what I'm talking about? And the dude's yeah, talking exactly. to the Lord and he said, right. hey, man, where was you when yeah. it was only, you know, one set? And the Lord said, man, I was carrying you through them. Right. Jody, I'm telling you, man, them things, some of those type of things like that are impactful. And you oh, remember so those cool. things when you're in a super dark moment in your life. You know what I mean? Right. And I honestly, I just believe that's why the Lord gave it to me, man. The scriptures that are on these frames, bro, I, I have prayed and fasted over these scriptures. They are, that you know, I'm looking awesome. at one right now. It's a fight the good fight of faith, you know, right there right. out of Timothy. Yeah. You know what I mean? You come in the yeah. next day and be a different one. But yeah, God's doing, God's doing it. Let, let me tell you what happened, brother. When I was in that year in solitary confinement, this is, this is pretty wild right here. This just show you how God has no limitations whatsoever. 
If anybody in your audience that ever believes that they're in a situation that maybe God could not solve that situation, brother, you're mistaken. He will do anything to solve a situation for you. Put yourself in position just by believing them. Right. That same buddy that I told you about that walked across the wreck yard that day in 2005. Right. He got out of federal prison about 2008. When I went to solitary confinement okay. for that year, we can't use the phone. We only get to use the phone once a month for 15 minutes. So I would sit down and write him a little letter on a piece of scrap paper and send it off to him. Hey, how you doing, brother? I hope you're doing good. Blah, blah, blah. This is what God's doing back here. It's incredible. So some months right. into that, he wrote me and he said, listen, the Lord's on me, man. He wants you to write a book. He wants you to write a book about your life. And he wants you to write a book, man, about what he's doing and what you're seeing. I wrote him back. I said, I'm not in this to write a book, brother. I'm back here just praising God, worshiping God, you know, helping men get born again. I, don't, I just don't have time for that. I don't want to do that. He kept on me. Right. Kept on me. Finally, one day he said, listen, if you don't write it for nobody else, write it for your kids. You're going to be in prison almost 20 years, man. They're going to want to know the type of person you are. Sit down and write your life story where, you know, how this happened. So I waited a few days. They got pins in there about this long about three inches long and they're made right. just real wobbly rubber, you know, so you can't, you know, stab nobody. Can't stab anybody. anybody with it. Yeah. Old nasty paper. I sat down and I said, Lord, I need you to help me do this. I need to start with the first memory of my life. What's the first memory of my life. And the first memory of my life, man, was when I was being transported from Virginia to Illinois and I was sitting in the back seat of that car. And I was dangling my feet off that seat. And the people that was taking me to Illinois, I didn't know them. They was loving people, but I didn't know them. And right. they were trying to engage me and get me to talk. And they had me saying my ABCs. I was a pretty smart kid, so I can get in there pretty good at, at about three years old, two and a half, three years old. I could say it for a little bit. And I remember trying to sing that song to them in the back of that car. Right. My buddy wrote me a letter. I sat down and wrote that down and wrote that memory down and wrote down the first three or four pages. And I took them papers and I set them up on the shelf. I get a letter from my buddy. In the letter, he said, Stephen, I do not know why the Lord wants me to talk to you about this. I know you're well beyond this. I know what you're doing up there. And I know the man you were 15 years ago. But the Lord is telling me relentlessly that I need to talk to you about the ABCs of the Christian faith. Oh, I said, wow. I said, what? The ABCs? Wow. He said, I don't know why, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. So I said, Lord, are you serious right now? I just, I just sat down, I started writing it, man. Just started writing it. I don't know what to do with this thing. You know what I mean? I'm thinking about right. maybe, I still I got the original. You know what I mean? I wrote, after I got out, I sent for it. I said, "Hey, you still got that stuff I wrote you five years ago?" And he's like, "Yeah, I got it." I said, "Man, send it up here too, right. man." So I, I think I'm gonna put it out like a chapter at a time or something like that. You know what I mean? Something cool and just let people read the unedited version of what was going on back there. So here, here's what I would suggest, and this is how I wrote my first book. It's called Man Up, Becoming a Godly Man in an Ungodly World. And I literally, somebody challenged me to write my testimony. And I literally wrote out my testimony. Um, you know, just I started it for some reason. I started at 11 years old and I went all the way up to where I was at, at the time actually writing the book. Next thing I know, I've got 200 pages of just my testimony and um, eventually just broke it down into chapters. And it became it was really, you know, my story of how uh, I came to know the Lord, number one, 
And then how I grew in the grace and knowledge of Jesus by having a personal relationship with Jesus, reading, writing, uh, or reading, praying, and uh, repenting. Those are the three spiritual disciplines that I used in my in my walk, uh, along with fasting and prayer, you know, spending good godly time in prayer, and then learning to have a, the right relationship with my spouse, and then my children. And those were the three things that really bound me together. Uh, you know, t- uh, Paul writes to Timothy to to have your household in order, and that's the way that you have your household in order. Then the next area was church, because you know, when I first got saved and I'm reading my Bible and I'm I'm going through this thing and I'm looking at the people that are in my church, and I'm like, none of these guys are like what I'm reading in the Bible. There's not a single guy in here that could handle Paul or a guy that could be like Moses or a guy that could be like Saul or a guy could be like David, you know, like where, where's the manly Christian men that are going to stand up, you know, this way. And, um, you know, talking about church and then, uh, it went into account uh, work, you know, when you leave church, most people are raising holy hands. Then on Monday, they're raising holy hell, you know, when they should be the, the bright and shining light and the salt of the earth, uh, and then accountability and discipleship. So I want to encourage you don't, don't just write it, you know, write it out. I mean, as long as it takes you just write it out. So it's fresh in your mind, you put it on paper and then, then figure it out. Uh, but I would suggest that you, somebody told me, write a, write a page a day, you know, just start writing a page a day and, uh, you'll end up having a book that may change lives. You know, I always tell people, if my book keeps you from reading the Bible, throw it away and use it as kindling, uh, you know, start a fire with it. You know, the Bible is what you need to do. But sometimes men, especially if you're writing it to a, a an audience, let's say like for men, um, and it could be a story for anybody. I'm not saying it's it's not, but I'm saying you, you probably would relate to men who, you know, are just, uh, you know, sometimes hard. Um, and that, that book would actually get them engaged into the word of God. And so I want to encourage you in that. Don't, don't lose sight of that because, um, I can feel it in my spirit right now. I think that's, that's probably the path that you need to go, um, with a story like this. So I want to backtrack just a little bit, uh, in your story. So how did you find out that you were actually getting out of prison? So this is this is obviously fresh in your mind. This is two thousand, you know, or two thousand twenty one and um, twenty two. I guess it was nine months ago. Um, what what was that? What was that like? And how did you find out? Okay. Well, here's what happens. Uh, and, and I appreciate that encouragement on the book. What, what I ended up compiling while I was back there in solitary confinement ended up being about 230 pages. Oh, praise God. Okay. I missed, the, yeah, missed that part. That's what okay, I ended good. up writing. About two, I had over 20 chapters that I just wrote, got all the way through my life and, and into, you know, what God was doing at that time. Um, I knew that my outdate was going to be coming up. Okay. Um, I here, Here's something that I, I, I want to talk to you about that because I know that's important and what you're feeling when you know that your outdate's coming up and how right. that situation is going to be. You've been down so long. But I'll tell you how the devil works right here. One thing we know the enemy always tries to do, he tries to keep a man from getting born again. Right. Once a man does get born again, then he tries to keep him to be a weak Christian. Right. Okay. If he can keep Place. him there where he's not a powerful praying Christian, then he's still, he's all right with that. You know what yeah. I mean? He may have lost him. And, and I'm telling you know this, man. I mean, this is not like, this is not on the natural plane. This is in the supernatural realm right, right here. He is trying to blind these men Paul says, man, they're blinded, okay? Yes, 
Exactly. I end up getting a celly during COVID. So when COVID hits and the prisons get locked down, man, I'm about a year and a half from being released. And it's just mm-hmm. nuts. And it spreads through there like wildfire. The one person gets it, every man in there gets it. Right. I was at Greenville and they are locked down tight. I don't have a roommate at this time. My roommate had went home. Uh, in comes in the unit. They're bringing some more guys into our unit because they got to turn one unit into a quarantine unit. Anybody catches COVID, they're just going to put them over there. Okay. That was their idea initially. It doesn't work. And they end up just locking the whole prison down forever because everybody ends up getting it. Right. So in the unit comes a Hispanic fella. He's a Latin king out of Chicago. Okay. I know the man barely from being on the compound. I know he's a stand-up guy. He's on a giant case. They got a bunch of murders in their case. And I know he's not a snitch. This is essentially just a little bit of information I got him. So I know he's not a child molester. I know he's not a snitch. That's good enough. You can come in here and live with me. I'm going home anyway in about a year. No big deal. He comes in the cell with me. I tell him he can come in there. He comes in there. And when he starts unpacking his property, in his property, he's got a, a large plastic bowl. It's about, I don't know, eight inches by eight inches. And he's got an idol in this plastic bowl. Mm. And around the idol, he's got things that he's given to this idol. There's M&M candies, uh, prison money, which is stamps, and, and other little trinkets and woo-woos and wham-whams that he's been offering to this idol. And he said, does it bother you if I put this out in the cell? You know, this is part of my religion. And I said, no, brother, that that doesn't bother me at all. And he's like, "Okay." So he said, it bothers a lot of people. I said, it's not going to bother me. I said, "Uh, because that right there is nothing. I said, now, the spirit that's behind that is something. And he said, oh, I know for sure. He said, my family is involved in a religion called Santeria. And so he gets his photo album out and he shows me his mama's house. Right. They've got a whole room in that house. It's just all candles and it's um, little idols and, and pictures of people and things like that. And um, so he tells me that he can pray to this thing and it will do things to other men inside the prison. And I said, well, I don't know if you know this about me or not, but I'm a, I'm a, a really dedicated Christian. And he's like, oh, OK. I said, yeah, OK. So. As a you know, day or two goes by, I said, listen, would you mind if I read a little bit of this book to you, man? It's a very interesting book. And he said, no, I don't mind. So I got out John G. Lake's Adventures in God, one of the books that I would use as like a ministry tool. And I just started reading him that book out loud, kind of the way that I would read the New Testament to that devil whisper out loud. I'm just reading about God's supernatural things, about the Holy Spirit and about miracles and about the blood of Jesus to this man. And I'm talking to him the whole time about the blood of Jesus. And he asked me, do you believe that what I'm doing is demonic? And I told him, yes, it is absolutely 100 percent demonic what you're involved in, man. You are having a spirit go and do things for you. Your family's involved in this and they're doing the same thing. Well, a lot of people don't know this, but big drug traffickers that are coming from Mexico, they're really deeply involved in this Santeria religion. Right. They have the, the shamans and the witch doctors pray for them yep. that their drug stuff makes it. And so it's real. You know, one thing that I learned, uh, Jody, by dealing with all these different people, especially being in Florida and being around people that were involved in voodoo and stuff like that, you never have to convince a, a devil worshiper that the supernatural realm is real. Right. They know it's real. Right. I've seen things happen. You know what I mean? So, isn't, anyway. it, isn't it funny that, you know, they, that they believe in that they believe like they believe in that evil, but yet they don't believe in the good. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that, that to me just doesn't, that does, you just have to be on that path of just 
complete denial of, you know, who the Holy Spirit is um, when you're when you're doing that. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Sorry. No, about no. That. It, That's it just blows point, me right? away. Blows me away. That's a very good point. And they know that God is real. They right. know that they know that God is real. They know this supernatural realm is real, but they like that power and they like being able right. to see these demons do things for them. And I'm not trying to freak anybody out that's that's in the audience or scare anybody, but I have to be authentic and tell these stories because they're absolutely true. Somebody's listening. It's going to help somebody. I guarantee Amen. you that. Yeah. So me and this fellow, after a few weeks, I know the more I talk about the blood of Jesus, the more I talk about the victory of Jesus, that we are not going to be getting along. Now, he can't wait to get out of that room with me. So he has the officers. They end up moving him to another cell and he goes to another cell. And I get another roommate in there with me. He's an MS-13 gang member from El Salvador. And they're letting us out now. They start letting us out about 10 cells at a time for about 15 minutes to go take a shower. Well, when they let that guy's 10 cells out, he comes by my room and he says, hey, man, he's got a knife on him. He said, hey, I'm about to get into it with this guy. I need you to hold this knife for me real quick. And he slides the knife up under my door. And I said, well, if you're about to get into it with somebody, why would you want me to hold this knife? And he said, no, I don't want the police to run in here and catch me with that knife, man. Just hold on to it. Put it in that secret place, man, that only you and me know about. He knew that I had a little hiding place in the room where I would keep my little prison money and stuff like that. Because you got to be able to buy your groceries, your fruit, your onions, your green peppers and stuff. I said, all right. So he walked off and I knew it instantly in my spirit. It's like just as clear as a bell. Something's not right. So I start to take the handle off that knife. Now, my roommate, the MS-13 dude, he said, man, you're tripping. That guy's a stand-up guy. They've killed a bunch of people. Nothing's going to happen. I said, something's not right. I took that knife, and I don't know why I did this. And I took that knife and put it right in that hiding spot, right where he knew where it was, which oh, wasn't really God. all that good of a hiding spot. No sooner than I put it in there and closed that thing up, did the cops run in the door and take me and that MS-13 guy up out of there. Oh, no. Hands up. I look across the unit and I see the Latin, the Latin King, the guy that was in the Santeria that right. threw the knife under my door, Jody. And he's giving me that devil look. Oh, yes, he, sir. He's making he, that smirk on his face. The man's going to get me in trouble. He's going to get me prosecuted because oh. if you get caught in federal prison with a knife, they're going to give you about 12 months of extra time. Now this, oh this gosh. man knows my situation. He knows I'm about to get out of prison after doing almost 20 years. He knows I got a granddaughter, just got born. Holy my kids are grown. Cow. It doesn't matter, Jody. He's looking dead at me while the cops are walking me out. And he's looking at me, give me that look. I got you, buddy. And I'm like, this dirty dog. They sit, take us downstairs wow. and set us down, me and the MS-13. He's shaking his head. He can't believe it. And the cops are in the cell. They tear the cell apart. They put him in there 4D, Jody, the police. They tear the place apart. They're looking right at the safe. They're looking to right at where this guy told them that knife's at and they can't see it. Oh and it's my right in their face looking at them like this and they can't see it. Almost an hour later, they was in there for almost an hour. They come and got me and the dude and they put us back in the cell. Now watch what happens here. They put us back in the cell, and locked the door. All them other people that was out, they locked them back up. When it's our turn to get out for a shower, right, I walk right over to his room. I said, buddy, you got a couple minutes to pack your bags and get out of here and check in right now. Now, let me tell you something. He can't do this. He's an active gang member. If he checks in, he can never walk on another compound the rest of his sentence. I told him, I said, brother, you are lucky that this door is locked right now. You pack your bags and you get out of here right now. And you know what? He did it. Packed his bags. He was so wrong and he could not believe it. He was so shook. He packed his bags and left. Holy the God. politics of the prison were crazy because here's right. one guy, me, 
checking in a gang member, which is a no, no, you can't even do that. Right. And, and, and so the politics was crazy. After everything starts filtering out, he's back there in solitary confinement. They end up shipping him out of there. OK, so and real quick, what what is uh, just so the audience knows what is checking in? Checking in means the guy's paperwork's no good, like he's with some type of child molester, he's a snitch, or maybe somebody runs up a large drug bill that they can't pay. They have to walk their self to solitary confinement. Okay. It's not like the cops, you know, lock them up because they were fighting or got in trouble, and they have to tell the cops, hey, you need to put me in there for my own safety. Free safety. Okay. Got yeah. it. Okay. That's right. called checking in. So he does right. that. This is this causes a huge uproar in the prison. But I didn't care, brother. I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. I'm safe. I stated my case, even in the spiritual supernatural. I brought up Jesus. I brought up everything. And they didn't. All they could do is eat it because the wow. man looked so guilty because he checked in. Right. Watch what happens, bro. I call home about eight or nine months later. And I call my daughter's mother, who's just a friend. That's all she was, was a friend. Right. And they know I'm getting ready to get out of prison within a few months. And she said, listen, I got a letter over here, but it, the outside of the letter doesn't make any sense. She said, I believe it's for you. Uh, it's got our daughter's name on it, but it's got my address on it. And that's not right. She said, so when I, when I tore it open and seen the top of the letter, how it was addressed, the name on there was your nickname. She said, I didn't want to mess with it. I said, well, what's the name on it? Where'd it come from? And it had that guy's name on it. Okay. So he had went into my locker at some point when we were roommates. He got in my address book and he, he had stole the information of my family, but he had it a little bit backwards. Right. I said, well, go ahead and read it to me because I know what this says. I've seen these type of cowards and punks before. It's, yeah. you know, it's if I ever see you, I'll kill you. Yeah. If I see somebody in your family or yeah. I know where they live, I'll burn their house down. I know what this is. Right. She opened that letter up, Jody, and it said, Rooster, I got to tell you that everything that you ever told me when we were roommates was true. He said, I got them things up out of me. I pled the blood of Jesus against them, just like you told me. He said, they came out of me. I was coughing and gagging and puking. Oh, they were coming out of my backside in black, muddy water. He said, it was the biggest battle of my life. He said, I've been born again now for, and he'd been born again. It was going on a year. He said, I've been born oh again gosh. now almost a year. He said, I'm in prison in New York. Reach out to me anytime you can. It changed my whole life. He wrote a two-page letter. And that's all wow. about was Jesus and how he was born again and how these things came up out of him. And everything that I told him in that cell and read to him out of that book and talked to him about the blood of Jesus, he applied it in his life and got that thing up out of him. Wow. Yes. I told wow. her, I said, look, I said, take, take a couple pictures of that. Um, I need that letter when I get out, please. If you'll hold on to it. She said, yeah, this is, what is this? What, you know, and I said, it's, it's hard cow. to explain, but you know, because she didn't know that I, you know, how right. far into God I was. And so that was awesome. That was something that when I got out, even though, you know, we live way apart, I said, send them pictures to my phone. I need pictures of that letter and everything. And, uh, you know, you just you just don't know, man, when the seed when you're planting a seed in a dark place, man, you might not see fruit. For Praise God. Right. Praise God, man. What a great story. What a great story. So you're out now. You've been nine months and obviously God is just moving you probably so fast. I mean, have you had a chance just to breathe and and relax um, or are you just you so far so much on fire for God that. You hadn't stopped once you got out. 
Yeah, it's full speed ahead, bro. I got out and I started fasting, you know, one day a week and just praying. I joined a men's group at a, at a local church and, uh, you know, started going to services. And like I said, just supernaturally, God put me with these people here in Peoria that aren't Christian people, but they're business people. And I told them my idea and they said, we don't even know if that'll work. And I said, well, it's going to work because the Lord Jesus gave it to me in a dream. And it's just been Wow. It's just been absolutely incredible. Every day, every day, man, is something I can actually envision in my mind that, you know, there's going to be a lot of scripture in a lot of people's houses. And I believe that my testimony is going to help a lot of people. I can't wait. I love to preach the gospel. I know I was never intended to be a pastor, but I could certainly see myself, you know, tell them a story and, and, and helping some people like that for All sure. Right. Well, do we do a um, we do a men's conference twice a year. And I'm going to have you come speak at our men's conference. I think it'd be a great um, opportunity for you to share your testimony and just share what God's doing. And, and for, you know, it's to, for, for me, I struggle a lot of times with just the complacency that happens, um, you know, in church and then, then outside of church, you know, and yet I meet guys like you who spent 19 years in prison that are on fire for the Lord, like nobody's business. Now, I typically see that quite a bit, you know, with, uh, for, I was an addict too, you know, and a lot of times we go from one extreme to the other, you know, we, mm -hmm. we just go balls to the wall either way. Sure. Um, but there's still this lack of fire that's happening within, uh, within the people. Um, as a matter of fact, when I was talking about Angola, we were working on a program. It was going to be called man up and lock up. And um, they had a, uh, a an old wing at Angola that used to be death row, and they had actually closed it down. And so we were going to do men's retreats at Angola with the doors locked there where they were going to stay inside the, the cells and have the inmates preach to them. Mm. And uh, I wish we I wish we could have, you know, could have done something like that, because, you know, it almost like scare them straight to an extent just to realize that, you know, uh, you've got this freedom, you need to be using it. And not only it's the freedom, but it's the freedom from sin. It's the freedom from worry and doubt because we now have the power of the Holy spirit and we should look different. We should act different and we should be different. And man, I applaud you for the stick to itiveness that you had and um, not quenching the spirit while uh, he was coming up on you. So you could do a work for the kingdom. Um, and dude, I'll be praying for you big time now. I'm, I'm so honored that God put us together and that I got to talk to you because uh, you're not far away. And I think, um, you know, we're in St. Louis and you're right there in Peoria and man, we can, we can do a lot of, a lot of stuff. And I <clears throat> will actually start promoting your, um, your website on our Facebook page and uh, everything as well. We want to help you out. Man, that's awesome, brother. Thank you so much. I, I, I would be amiss if I didn't say that there's there's something about fasting that mm. keeps yeah. a man from being prideful. Amen. And I believe that I've always implemented that since the Lord showed it to me. And I think because I was doing that and still will do that from time to time is that he he feels like he can trust me with certain things without me Amen. getting too puffed up. You know what right. I mean? Right. One of the greatest gifts that God ever gave me was the ability to talk to men and get them spiritually hungry. Mm, that's I great. could get them spiritually hungry, brother. I could. I could show them that the remedy is a living Jesus. It is not the church on the corner. 
It right. is the living Jesus. Now, if that church is on fire, get Joker, your butt yeah. in there. Exactly. Yeah, because that's exactly. multiplying. You know, right. remember, that's a hard thing to find, bro. Right. You know? Oh, you know? man, that's good. Yeah, I tell you what, I feel sorry. You know, like I said, I go to Sunday service, uh, you know, uh, from time to time. The men's group that on Thursday nights really my cup of tea, but I will go from time to time. I feel sorry a little bit, man, for the women that are in the church now because the men got so soft. Yeah. And I think that some yeah. of that, some of the fact that some of the men got so soft is because nobody uh, was able to teach them about that spiritual hunger and that it's okay to be a powerful, bold man of faith. Right. It's okay, brothers. It is a good mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, it is. It yes, is a really the Lord good Lord loves it, man. Amen. Amen. And we've got to, you know, that's unfortunately what society has taught the men is not one that their opinion doesn't matter. And two, that, you know, being the spiritual head of the household is, is number one is biblical, but it's also when it's done right, it's a beautiful thing. You know, even even the women that we meet um, through our ministry, they're looking for someone to lead them. Uh, even the strong type A personality women are looking for someone to lead them. They want somebody to, to be there, to pray over them, to wash them with the water of the word, and uh, to make sure that they are secure, not only physically and financially, but spiritually secure. Um, and, and that's such a beautiful picture of of Christ and his church. That's what we need to to put out there a lot more. And Man, brother, I, I am just so blessed that you and I got to talk tonight. And uh, again, I apologize that we had to postpone it a couple of days just because of, of my sickness. But um, man, it's been such a blessing to to hear your story and uh, to see your fervor that you have in you. Man, I just, it just it, it, it's fanning my flames as, as we're sitting here talking. And um, I'm, I'm just honored. What would you um, go ahead and tell us a, a little bit about what you have, like as far as your your website. Uh, do you have the book ready yet? Is the book Jody? I, it's, it's the, it's the big unedited version of okay. everything that I wrote in solitary confinement. I'll be honest with you. One of the things that I think I'd like to do, like I said, I think people might like to see the unedited version from time to time. Right. I'm thinking maybe a newsletter or something like that. I came across a, a thing. There'll be some information on my website okay, good. about how I'm going to do that. But I think some guys, I think guys might really like to see it unedited a little bit. So it's not so polished. Okay, Okay, here he is. He's uh, 243 days in to being in a cell by himself, just with the Bible, just with the Lord. And he's preaching, yelling out the halls. And what is God doing in this situation? Right. Let's just keep it unedited, man. and, And just what, you know, what was it? What was going on? What was there that the Holy Spirit was doing. I don't think Paul probably edited his letters. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't believe he did. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. That's that's good, brother. You know, so I might yeah. just do that. Uh, and I'm focused, you know, I'm focused on the scripture frames because I was given a mandate from the Lord to do that. Now, right. I might just be in a season where I might run this business right here and just grow it up for a couple of years, but I can definitely see myself the Lord's put a vision in my heart, man, where I'll be able to go around and tell my story, preach the word Praise a little God. bit. You know, he's given me some strong revelation, man. So on some scriptures, man, you know, especially like first John four, four, you know what I mean? Where the Lord says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Right. I mean, what greater testimony, man, than to have a, a full fledged demonic 
You know what I mean? Tell right. you, man, I can feel it in my body because of the Holy Spirit that's in you. That's all God, bro. Right. That's Amen. all God. Yes, sir. That's not a Amen. person. That's not a that that that's God in you. Wow, man. Praise God. Well, brother, I've been blessed tonight. Um, we are about almost to getting close to two hours, but uh, uh, I just want to say thank you again. What an amazing story. Uh, I thank you for sharing with it and, and in great detail and uh, authentic. Uh, authentic. Um, I appreciate that, brother. Uh, I look forward to seeing what God's got in store for, for us in the future. Uh, I hope we stay in touch and um, again, we'll share your stuff, uh, when we, when we get this out there, we'll let everybody know who you are and, uh, we'll go from there, brother. So sounds awesome, man. Thank you, bro. Thank you very much for this opportunity, man. I hope that some people out there are blessed and, and, and getting hungry, man, getting hungry for more God I, in these latter days, man, he's going to do it. Amen. Why don't you, uh, why don't you share the gospel for everybody as we close up here, give them the good news. Oh, the good news, Lord Almighty. You want me to tell them about Jesus? I want you to tell tell them about Jesus. Okay, I'm going to tell tell you about about Jesus. Jesus. Okay, the Lord, the Lord is, Jesus is everything. And I think that revelation was really given to John that, you know, the full manifestation of the Father was in the Son. Mm -hmm. And he walked on this earth. He really did, y'all. Everybody can agree on that that Jesus walked on this earth, even the ones, man, that don't believe that he's the son of God, even the Muslims will tell you he was somebody else. Okay. But we know that historical facts was that he was here. What we got to figure out was, was he who he says that he is? Mm. And he is, he is the risen alive Christ. 100%. You know, who's who I believe that really told the most simplistic version of the gospel that I latched onto. And I loved it was Catherine Kuhlman. She said that she saw a boardroom in heaven with the father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And the father said to Jesus, I'm going to need you to go to earth because mankind's going to fall. And Jesus said, "Okay, I'll go. Holy Spirit, you go with me. And the Holy Spirit said, no, you go first and I'll come later. So right now, that's where we're at. We got the Mm -hmm. father in heaven. We got Jesus on the right hand side of him. And the Holy Spirit is here right now to lead and guide us in every way, brother, not just in wisdom and knowledge. That's one of his ministries but in boldness and power and in faith and everything that the Holy spirit does, I've got to say this is to elevate Jesus. And Mm. you know how I know that brother, because the very first revelation I got after I received the baptism in the Holy spirit, the first thing in English was Jesus. I knew you was there. The Holy spirit was witnessing to the Lord Jesus. That's in the Bible. And it's just like that y'all. Jesus is it. Jesus is the way without Jesus being the way to salvation. We could take that whole Bible and throw it away. Praise God, brother. Well, that, uh, that is a great gospel story, man. I love, uh, I love your passion. I love, I can see that, um, the spirit is in you. I can see he is up on you and that he has a ministry for you to do. And I pray that dude, you know, in, in the days and the weeks and the months to come as, um, you know, you're in the world and I know it's a different different world for you right now. I pray that you'll just seek him and all that you do, that you'll continue to pray that you'll reach out in those times of doubt or fear or worry, um, to your brothers that are around you, uh, even to me. And, uh, we want to see you finish this fight well, and, uh, we'll be praying for you. Oh, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Amen. Well, God bless you, brother. And we will see you guys next week.
You've been listening to the Man Up God's Way podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and our website at manupgodsway.org.